Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Christina Hogue is a former journalist who has had her laptop searched by Colombian guerrillas her phone tapped in Venezuela, was suspected of being drug trafficker in Guyana, hid under a car to evade Guatemalan soldiers, and posed as a nun to get into Caracas jail. She has interviewed gang members, bank robbers, thieves, and thugs in prisons, shanty towns, and in slums. Let's not forget the millionaires and the billionaires and the presidents, some of whom actually fall into that same now she writes about these characters in her award-winning fiction. I just want to welcome, delightedly, Christina Hogue to the microphone. Thank you, Grace. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I was so intrigued by your bio alone. I want to talk to you about both of your books as well as your other writing. But we have to start with your amazing journalism and your amazing journalism background. And I have to say, I'm a little bit of a geek and a little bit in awe because that's what I wanted to be. I wanted mm. a desk anchor or a journalist. And it just sounds like you had the most amazing job. Wall Street Journal, Washington, uh, New York Times, London Times, Miami Herald. Talk to us a little bit about that. And then I'll ask you more questions. Well, it was an amazing time, and it really was the highlight of my career and, and maybe in my life, you know. I mean, it was just I spent about 10 years uh, in uh, Latin America, uh, most of it in based in Caracas, Venezuela. And it was just fascinating. You know, every day was a, it was a story. You know, you never knew what was going to happen because the governments and, and economies in those countries are so they're kind of unstable, which makes it kind of an adventure every day. You just don't know what's going to happen. Um, and what I would do uh, would we travel around uh, Latin America, South and Central America and the Caribbean uh, also and pick stories that I wanted to do and, you know, go do them and then sell them to different um, outlet, media outlets. Um, and at this time, um, you know, it, newspapers were a much bigger deal than they are now. Uh, sadly, they've kind of gone down in um, importance, but, uh, you know, newspapers still had foreign budgets and uh, foreign foreign sections. Um so it was just amazing. So I, I got to do a lot of different things. And um, and it was just, as I say, it was just an event, one adventure after another. Some pretty scary places. Yeah, you know, I never thought about that, to be honest. I just went, I just plunged in. I, I never worried too much about being scared or anxious. Um, a couple of times there were, you know, suddenly I, I realized, wow, I'm in a really weird spot. Uh, maybe I should get out of this or or looking back on it, I, I'm like, God, I, how did I do that? You know, I did it. Um, but it was all in the name of getting the story and just living that experience. So I love to talk on this show about how we reinvent ourselves all of the time. What was that deciding moment to leave the news desk behind, if you will, and come over to the noveling desk? Well, it basically wasn't my my uh, choice. I was starting. I was writing novels actually for quite a while, and I knew at some point if I really wanted to make get into fiction, I was going to have to choose between. 
the day job and fiction. Uh, and then that decision was sort of made for me because I got tendonitis in my arms and my forearms from typing. And it basically became very painful to type. And I was working for the Associated Press at the time here in Los Angeles, where I still live. Um, so I basically had to quit my job. The doctor said, you won't be able to continue in this career. So at that point, I had to kind of remake myself, as you say. Um, freelance journalism had kind of plummeted by that time because of the internet. It just doesn't pay anything. Um, so now I've sort of carved out, slowly carved out um, a way to support myself because my fiction, unfortunately, doesn't do that yet. Um, but so I do a lot of corporate writing, PR writing, um, editing, editing manuscripts, uh, you know, for, for self-published authors, that kind of thing. Um, basically anything, you know, writing, uh, anything that people hire me I to think, do. I think that's the thing that really surprises people uh, about authors, that there none of us are getting rich on our books. You know, there is a small segment of people who are getting rich on their books and having their books turned into movies. And even that is such a long process. I have a friend of mine whose book got picked up by a studio and she's already been told it'll probably be eight to 10 years before it actually mm -hmm. hits screen large or small. So this, this world of authoring is a interesting one to say the least. One of the things that I love about both your bio and your writing in your novels is that you somehow get to the common man. Your, your bio talks clearly about, you know, you interviewed the thugs and you interviewed the presidents, and sometimes there's not a lot of difference. Talk about how you got to that place in your work of finding that at the end of the day, for using my dad's words, we all put our pants on one leg at a time. Yeah, I mean, it was just as a, you know, as a journalist, as a reporter, you have to interview people from all walks of life. And that can be from the very top to the very bottom. You know, I was there in shanty towns and slums in, in Latin America, um, you know, a number of times. And uh, then I would was in the presidential palace at a press conference or something, you know, at other times and with ministers interviewing ministers and various things. And that holds true also for, for here in the United States when, as, as a reporter. So you, you mingle with a lot of different people. And that's just, that's the nature of the job. So the more I did this, the more I saw that we're actually more alike than not alike. You know, um, we all want the basic same things for our children to, to live in peace, for them to get, you know, ahead in life. Um, you know, we want to be able to feel fulfilled and happy. And that's the case with everyone, you know, whether no matter where you are in the, on the socioeconomic ladder. So I brought that, you know, I try, I guess I bring that sensibility to fiction as well. I think you do and do it very well. You talked before about not being afraid. And I always look for commonalities, not only in the question I just posed to you, but for example, I worked in jails for a while, and I worked in D.C. men's jail and D.C. women's jail. And I have to tell you, the only place I ever was frightened was in the D.C. women's jail. And I think that that was really, this goes way back, decades now. And I think it goes back to a way I viewed women, like, oh, women couldn't do that. Women shouldn't be in jail. So I had this very sort of 70s mindset that only men did bad things. So uh, it's interesting where you uh, find your fears and where you find your commonalities. So now you have two award-winning, amazing books, 
that are very, very different. You've got your very kind of gutsy, uh, crime noir, violent gangs in Skin of Tattoos. And then you've got a very different kind of book, which is a young adult book called Girl on the Brink. Talk to us a little bit about those because I really want to dive in. Yeah, I mean, Girl on the Brink was sort of more of a personal story. It was inspired by something happened to me, an abusive relationship. Um, so in the aftermath of that, I wanted to sort of write something, um, you know, about my experience. You know, I'm a writer. I, I write about things that happened to me. So I wrote about it, and I thought for several reasons I chose a young adult uh, novel setting to do that. Number one was even just a legal uh, one just to get my experience the furthest away from the truth so I could not be you know sued or you know some sort of legal case brought against me by uh, my former abuser um, so you know setting that in a uh, um, a teenage world was one way of doing that and I set it also in New Jersey and you know very far very different way, uh, from the reality um, and the other thing is I really felt strongly that if people knew, especially young women, teenage girls, the start of their dating lives, if they knew the red flags of an abuser, because they're very clear once you know what they are. The trick is nobody shows you or tells you what they are and they don't teach you this stuff in school um, and they can be very easily mistaken. So that was my other um, you know, really big goal and, and purpose with the book was to, to show teen girls and boys, you know, what these red flags are so they can sort of, you know, look out for them. And, um, and so, know also if they're in a, a, such a relationship that they're not alone. So before you go further, though, why don't you talk about some of those red flags? Um, I, I want everyone to read Girl on the Brink. But why don't you talk about some of those important red flags so we can be of service to our listeners? Well, one of them is jealousy. Um, you know, some uh, guys will get really pathologically jealous and they'll start to, uh, they don't want you to even talk to a man. They don't want you, you know, they, they, they give you the, five, the fifth, uh, third degree about where you've been or who you've been with. And why they can sort of justify that is, oh, I just care about you so much. I'm just so in love with you. I just, you know, whatever. Um, it's actually a form of controlling. And, and, and that's really what is the essence of domestic violence is control. They want complete control. So, you know, so extreme jealousy and possessiveness is one of them. Another thing is just starting to put down, say, your friends and your family. Oh, why are you hanging out with them? You know, why are you hanging out with her? Oh, Christina, you're so much better than them. Why? You know, you should seek out other friends. And what they're doing, they're isolating. So they're in this weird way, they're kind of breaking it off, um, you know, breaking you away from your social support network so they can, again, gain more control over you. And they don't want you talking about them to other people because other people might say, hey, what's he doing? You know, you're, you know, you, you don't have to put up with that. So they don't want that. You know, they want, um, so they want that isolation. Um, and, you know, other things are just even like putting you down in front of other people, calling you names. Um, and again, sometimes that, well, I just have a temper. Oh, I just have a bad temper. Oh, you know, and they'll come back and they'll give you flowers. They'll give you gifts. I'm so sorry. It won't happen again. It will happen again and it will get progressively worse. And that's the, that's the cycle that it goes in. So these are just a few of the, the red flags. And thank you for pointing out that it's really all about control. I think if we look at it that way, it gives us a whole nother lens. So 
thank you uh, for that. Let's talk a little bit about skin of tattoos, and then we'll talk how those stories in my mind bring great depth to your work. Well, Skin of Tattoos came sort of from the other end, was sort of out of my journalism, which was sort of, you know, as a journalist, you're the perennial observer, you know. And um, so I did actually a lot of work with uh, coverage of gang issues, starting with uh, a, a story I did for a magazine in El Salvador of American, they were Salvadoran American gang members who had been deported from Los Angeles to back to El Salvador. And this was a starting in the late 90s. And they got there with very little, um, you know, no resources. They were living with family members they had never met. Some of them barely spoke Spanish. Um, you know, they'd never, they had no recall or remembrance of El Salvador. So they were kind of like fish out of water. And um, so that just stayed with me. And when I got to L.A., you know, some years later, and actually I was covering gangs for the Associated Press and gang prevention and intervention Los Angeles having a big um, gang problem, you know, it came together and I started, I interviewed so many um, young, young people who got involved in gangs and, you know, how hard it is to get out and how hard it is just to avoid getting involved with them, you know, if that's all you know, you know, if that's your neighborhood and sometimes it's just for protection, um, your own protection for your families, what have you, a way to make money. The, the gang offers you, you know, a way to make money. Um, and it offers you prestige and a sense of belonging too. You know, maybe you don't get that at home. So it was all this other stuff that I thought was really fascinating about gangs that doesn't often get, you know, a lot of play in the media. So I ended up writing Skin of Tattoos um, and it's all drawn from bits and pieces of interviews that I've done over the years. What I loved about both of your books, Christina, is you do an amazing job of creating tension, of going to a dark side, if you will, of the things that most of us don't want to be involved in. We don't want to be involved in an abusive relationship. We don't want to be involved in gangs. And you make your characters so delightfully human. You know, even though oh, thank you, yeah. Oh, and they're and they're wonderful. I, I love. We'll talk about your writing style as well. But just the idea that you make the lead character in Skin of Tattoos very vulnerable. He's going to be in a bad place, and he goes home and checks on his mom. Um, and you have the same um, feel, if you will, in Girl on the Brink. Of these are in psychological terms, we call these, these are parentified kids. These mm. are kids who have to be the parent in some way to their own parents. Was your goal to make them so vulnerable? And what was your goal with that? Because you that's how I read both of the lead characters. Yeah, my, my goal was to make them human. And, you know, for it's, it's interesting, again, when you cover a lot of crime and stuff, um, you see that sometimes people, when you talk to the actual, you know, criminal, they have a whole other side. Like, it's not like they have, you know, bank robber, you know, tattooed across their forehead, you know, and you can talk to them and they're perfectly normal people. And, you, and then you come away, you think, wow you know, how did they do that? You know? Um, so it, that was sort of the, the, what drove the skin of tattoos and having talked to a lot of these gang members who look, you know, pretty intimidating sometimes with all the tattoos all over them, which is, which is the idea, you know, is to make themselves look um, intimidating. Uh, 
but find out, you know, behind that is a, a kid who grew up with a very alcoholic and abusive father who was kind of broken by the Civil War in El Salvador. The mother who's left just trying to, to you know, working at a, a, a factory job to bring home some money and keeping the family together. And then, you know, his family situation is, you know, he's a ri sibling rivalry with an older brother who was the, the do-gooder um, and things like that. So I just wanted to bring like the dimension that um, sometimes is missing in crime fiction is that sort of the, how people get to be where they are, where they turn out to be, you know, even the, 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 the bad guy in Skin of Tattoos, Rico, he was severely abused as a kid. So I, I gave him that background to show that, you know, he is that way for a reason. And I think that's what happens in life. Oh, I think you're right. I had a wonderful guest on The Storyteller who had the opportunity to interview a serial killer. And as we have read in so many pieces of news, you know, he was charming. He was lovely. Mm -hmm. And it was very hard to then back up and say, oh, wait a minute. He has raped and murdered numerous women. So I do love, though, not that I, I want, I don't want to give the characters the okay for their bad behavior, but I do think it's incumbent upon us to look how we got there. I want to talk a little bit about your writing style. Your writing style, as I would describe it, is crisp. It's descriptive. You have just that right amount of balance. Uh, you talked about the ghetto bird uh, being the helicopter. And I loved that because I, I used to do a lot of work in inner city schools. And I hadn't heard that term in ever so long. So you do a great job of both educating, but you don't, you know, slap us in the face with that. Is that all from your um, journalism? background? A lot of it, but I also had to do a lot of research. You know, I read so many, I read a lot of memoirs and biographies, um, you know, even watching TV shows and movies about the similar subjects and you pick up different, different bits and pieces of, of vernacular, uh, how they dress, you know, all those kinds of things. So you have to just, yeah, it's, it's a lot of research um, in conjunction with the, the sort of real life interviews and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, it comes, it comes across as very authentic. I also read some of your reviews and they talk about your writing as lyrical. And I have to be honest, I was very surprised when I read your work. I thought I would jump in. It would be kind of hard and gutsy. I did not quite honestly expect it to be so beautifully written. Is that, and I'm, this is a, this is a sexist question. How many women write in your genre? Is it because you're a woman? What do you bring to this work in that regard? Yeah, that's just how I write. You know, I, I love uh, literary writing, lyrical writing. My favorite, uh, my, my favorite sort of genre is sort of literary crime fiction, which is a very small <laughs> subset of crime fiction. Um, but when you get like a, a really good um, subject matter and then, you know, sort of you know, couch it in good writing. I just, that that's my favorite thing. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm aiming for. And yeah, it just comes out that way. I just really, I've always, uh, you know, a huge reader. I've always loved uh, mysteries and, and crime fiction. So I just, yeah, that's, that's how it just comes out. Well, I bet it's really hard work as well. You have a beautiful image in The Girl on the Brink where she's has basically two absent parents. One is very absent 
And then the other one is emotionally absent, if that's an easy way to put it. And you had this beautiful line about one had a ghostly presence and the other had a ghostly absence. And it was just beautifully written. So I thank you for oh, that. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for noticing. <laughs> oh, well, it's, it's important. The other thing that you've done, which I found interesting because I come out of the background of education and I did a lot of work with gangs in the inner city schools in which I worked. I used to work with a program called GREAT which was gang resistance education and training um, came after the dare program came out. But I love that you wrote another book called peace in the hood. Yeah. that actually came directly out of, um, I, I co-wrote it. I basically wrote it. And it, it's the, uh, a, a guy in South Los Angeles who trains former gang members to be what they call gang interventionists. So they go out on the street and actually sort of broker peace deals, if you will. Uh, they're peacekeepers on the street between rival gangs. Um, they do a lot about different things. They, they escort kids to schools where sometimes they get hassled by gang members on the way to school you know, to join the gang, things like that. Um, so this was his model and he's, you know, been pretty successful with it. And, and he's, you know, contracted by a number of cities across the country to go and start or, you know, teach these gang intervention programs, Vi violence interruption, sometimes they're called uh, violence disruptors. Um, so I had interviewed him for, to do a story on him for the Associated Press, and we later teamed up and wrote this book called Peace in the Hood, Working with Gang Members to End the Violence. So it's kind of a manual. It's got a little bit of anecdotes, you know, his anecdotes from the street and then his how to um, uh, how to do this, how to how to be an inter gang interventionist. Well, I, I loved the sort of triangle, if you will, of your work. Our time is almost up. I love to end my interviews with letting our listeners know something maybe a little bit quirky or different about you. What, what would that be? Well, I have lived in 10 different countries. I grew up in seven countries um, and then lived in three others as an adult. So that's something that I don't often talk about. Sometimes it comes up, but not often. Um, but I was born in New Zealand and I, uh, due to my parents' job, well, my father's job as a mining engineer and then a mining company executive, we lived in Fiji, Sweden, England, Nigeria, uh, back to New Zealand, Australia, and then United States, New Jersey when I was 13 years old. That's amazing. How can people find you, Christina, and find out more about you? Uh, I'm on the web at christinahogue.com and you can, you know, visit me there and sign up for my very infrequent newsletter. <laughs> uh, I have to do one soon, I know. Um, but, uh, yeah, but I'm there and I'm on all the social media, Facebook, uh, Instagram, all that stuff. Well, thank you for sharing your story today. And thanks for bringing such important stories to all of us. Thanks so much for being here, Christina. Oh, thanks, Grace. Thanks for being here. This episode of The Storytellers is a copyrighted episode by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network. Thank you for listening. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon.